You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dunn. That's right. You're tuned in to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from ESPN.com, Chad Dundas. Joining us, as always, your friend and mine from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's Ben Folks. Ben, you just ingested a balance bar. Uh, you've got your double shot of espresso in a can over there. It looks like you're, uh, looks like you're ready to go this week. Oh, yeah. Well, it was actually a balance bar gold. Oh, okay. You... Well, I didn't mean to shortchange you there. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm not eating a regular balance bar like some pleb. Heaven forbid. Yeah. No, I'm 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 feeling it now. I just got that balance bar in me, working through this coffee drink, and uh, yeah, I'm, I might limp my way through a full hour here. Who knows? Well, this week, you know, we've got a couple of administrative things to talk about before we get into the podcast proper. Number one being that we recently got our internet beer. Internet beer what? From listener Claire Hammond to celebrate the CME's first birthday last week. Uh, yeah, what, the re- what did the rest of you get us, by the way? bunch of freeloaders. I'm sure it's in the mail. I'm sure it's on its way. Uh, So during the next few weeks, we're going to do our best to drink our way through that beer. Uh, And when we were talking about it earlier today and we decided that we want you, the CME universe, to join in on this endeavor. So here's what we're going to do during the next week before next week's podcast comes out. We want you, the listener, to email us your suggested rules for the CME unofficial CME drinking game. Why is it unofficial? To avoid any sort of legal legality. <laughs> okay, you don't want to you don't want to attach us too closely to this drinking no, game. No, we got the legal team at work on this one. Yeah. And I assume as long for as entertainment say, purposes only. As long as we say unofficial, we're cool, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can tell your wife's a lawyer. You're all over this. <laughs> we assume that if you listen to the podcast, you know how a drinking game wor- works. So, what we'll do is you send us your suggested rules. Uh, we'll pick like, I don't know, the 10 best or something, and then we'll post them on the new website as a post before next week's show. Um, and then really, as long as you feel like it, you can play along and participate in the unofficial CME drinking game while you listen to the podcast. You really should. I mean, if you don't play along and you just listen, I mean, then you're really a taker. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you're a leech on society at that point. So send us those emails. And we'll be on the honor system, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, we're doing this pre- on the honor system. Maybe we'll get Sir Nigel to come in and sit in during the podcast and, like, ring a bell every yeah. time you're supposed to drink. I don't know, there something we go. like that. Although, look, you know, only participate if you are of legal drinking age in whatever country you happen to live in or, like, if you're not pregnant. Yeah, and, or- well, and if you're a recovering alcoholic... We don't want to like knock you off the wagon. Exactly. Or as long as you don't game. have to drive anywhere, you don't have to operate any heavy machinery or like take care of kids or old people. Well, now, now it's getting restrictive, I feel. I guess we should just say we're not responsible for whatever trouble you get yourself in by playing the Co-Main Event Podcast unofficial drinking game. Yeah. We don't really care what happens to you. Just don't blame us. Also, Ben, uh, We've been talking about this for a while, but I suppose we should – we've been getting some emails about it, so I suppose we should reassure people that the official rules for the co-main event music contest are going to be announced pretty soon. Um, so I hope all of you out there are uh, tuning up your violas yeah, or whatever you plan to use to, to enter the contest. We're going to do that. We're going to do another uh, White Elephant essay contest pretty soon. Yeah, we've got uh, we, so much stuff to give away. I know. You know? We, we've just got a couple technical issues that we're working on website-wise, and then uh, we're going to start rattling off this shit pretty soon. Uh, as it turns out, launching a website is just fraught with danger and peril. Who knew? Yeah. We haven't even uploaded any hardcore pornography yet. That's the yet. kicker. 
Ben, this week's music functions successfully on several different levels. Okay. Uh, number one, it comes to us from podcast listener Jason Smith, and it, it's some selected cuts from his surf rock band, Ooh. who are called, are you ready for this, the Testosterones. Oh, yes. So Nice. It's... It, it, it's it really it's it works for the podcast. I don't know why it took me this long to figure out that surf rock might be the the perfect complement for the co-main event, but I, I love the diversity of the music selection. I feel like we're a barbershop quartet away from hitting all the bases here. <laughs> I feel the same. So if you like what you hear from the testosterones, you can download their tracks for free from their website, uh cricketseed.com slash testosterones, although we will post the link on the website. Uh, so you don't really have to remember that. You could just go there and click it. Yeah, just let your brain continue to rot. As usual, the co-main event podcast comes to you in three rounds this week. In round number one, the good news is Winnipeg, Manitoba gets its first ever UFC event in a couple of weeks. The bad news is we have no fucking idea who's fighting at it. And in round number two, MMA pre- MMA's premier power couple caught yet another huge break this weekend. So why does it still seem like Misha Tate and Brian Caraway can't catch a break? You're talking about Misha Way? Caritate. Oh, okay. Well, well, we can talk about that later. We will talk about that in round number two. In round number three, speaking of having no idea who's fighting on a UFC show, quick, name four dudes appearing on this weekend's UFC on Fuel 10 card. All right, time's up. Eric time's up. De La All that. Santos. Plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But right now, like we always do about this time, let's read some listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from George, who writes, I once had a girl tell me en route to breaking up with me that I was, quote, better on paper. Ouch. Which, Ouch. Which fighters are on your all-time better on paper list? Yeah, that is brutal. Yeah. Dude. Man, that doesn't sound like a like an amicable breakup. You know what? I don't think they remained friends. I'm going to go out on a limb and say George is better off. Yeah. Hey, you don't need her. Exactly. Fuck her, George. You're going to let her say some shit like that to you, George? Yeah. Don't let You're the door hit guy. you. You're yeah. a good guy, You deserve George. better. Better on paper list uh, as it concerns MMA fighters. But goddamn, that's a mean thing to say <laughs> to someone. Jesus. Just dawned on me all over again. Yeah. I mean, hey, you don't want to see the person anymore. Fine. But like, you don't have to send them off with that. That kind of bitterness. And, you know, it, it begs the point. We're just saying better on paper as it concerns, f- like, fighting. To say someone <laughs> is better on paper as a human being, yeah. that's just cruel, man. Yeah. Unnecessary. Although there are, there are a lot of fighters that are better on paper. I mean, in, in fact, most guys, when it comes to, like, their fighting career, are better on paper than it actually turns out in the cage. Well, it depends what we're talking about with better on paper. Are we talking about, like, you look at their their size and athletic ability and, like skills that we believe that they possess and then it doesn't just it doesn't add up or are we talking about like that their record looks better than they are in each individual fight Hmm, i hadn't i hadn't thought about that second one i was just thinking like guys um, my immediate thought was like a lot of high level level wrestlers that come into the sport or have come into the sport over the years and they look like they should come in and just dominate and then they don't for whatever reason either because they lack the well-rounded skill set to to really succeed or they just don't like getting hit you know for some, the guy yeah. i immediately thought of was kevin jackson from years ago who was like a four-time wow. all-american and an olympic freestyle gold medalist and seemed like the kind of dude who should just come in and whip everybody's ass but had a really sort of like well short mma career i don't think he ever really wanted to do it 
for the long term was a very had a very short career and i think went like two and two in the ufc because he got tapped out by arm bars both times he just seemed like the kind of dude now i think he's a head coach somewhere maybe like iowa state or something like that you know um you know who i'll say rashad evans really i think rashad evans is better on paper explain yourself well i, I mean rashad evans is good uh but i think when you look at some of his performances and some of the and like his mix of wrestling ability, but he has some power in his hands, but then doesn't fall in love with it so much that he gets himself in trouble with it. Like, it seems like he should just be whipping everybody's ass. Um, and instead, he only whips most people's asses. Hmm. I had not thought of it that way. I, you see, for me, Rashad Evans is a guy who has always sort of like exceeded my original expectations for him because when he first came off the ultimate fighter, remember he had that, the, the whole season where it was kind of like Matt Hughes ripping on him and he just, and the ultimate fighter really sort of played him up as like a lazy, uh, underachieving heavyweight. You know what I mean? And then for him to, he was a surprise, I think to win it, I guess at the time when we were watching the show, uh, even though in retrospect, Rashad Evans versus Brad Imes does not strike me as a particularly <laughs> competitive fight. He won it and then dropped a light heavyweight where he's still undersized. Yeah. Uh, and has, has had a, a, a decent career for himself there. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I, that's the thing is I don't feel like I'm saying that he sucks. I'm saying that it seems like you put all that stuff together and it seems like, yeah, maybe John Jones should be able to beat Rashad Evans and that's about it. And that's not exactly what's happening. You know, another guy I'll say if we want to get a little, a little more severe with it is Brandon Vera. Brandon okay, Vera better sure. on paper. There, yeah, I would take that for sure. I was wondering, see, it's kind of, it's such an open-ended question that like, what about a dude like Brock Lesnar, who was the UFC heavyweight champion, but at the same time came to the table with all of these skills, just being this enormous, uh, really, really athletic heavyweight with a with a fine wrestling pedigree in his own right, who it just turned out, A, it didn't seem like he really liked to get hit, uh, and B, he just kind of started too late to really put together the well-rounded skill set that he needed to have to compete at the highest level. And also didn't really benefit from like the natural trajectory of a guy's career where, uh, you know, if Brock Lesnar had, had come into the sport immediately after college, maybe he would have five or eight fights before he even showed up in the UFC. Yeah. Having like a foot of his colon taken out probably didn't help either. Uh, that and just sounds bad on paper all the way around. <laughs> yeah. There's no way to play that. As, that is as not a good on paper. Um, yeah, and also seems to have suffered from the thing where, like, for his entire professional life, whenever one thing he starts isn't going well, he starts to decide that he wants to do something else. Yes. Jack of all trades, master at none. There you go. Kind of an a-hole at all. <laughs> uh, next question this week comes to us from Warren. He writes, just sitting here listening to some classic alkaline trio on the headphones, you know, can't wake the kids, and was wondering if you had some tips for the well-rounded fight fan for surviving their first live UFC show. My first show will be at UFC 161 in the peg, and I'm fucking jacked. And yeah, to offer, I'd offer you to still, I'd still offer to buy you dudes some beers. Uh, I don't, I don't think either of us will be there. I know I, I will be will. there. Oh, you will be there. Yeah. All right. So get ready. Get you ready. And, buy you me some and Warren beers. can go out and and really. Raise hell in the peg. Yeah, I didn't know people called it that, but okay. I'm see. I'm glad I'm learning this stuff now before I go. Go blue bombers, by the way. Um, Warren goes on. This is our first live MMA fight, and I'm just looking for some tips from the pros. Okay, well, I feel like I'm gonna probably betray some stuff about my own personality when I start giving some of these tips. Um, 
But my first tip is don't be hungover. Okay. Because <laughs> I've made that mistake way too many times. Um, well, just- yeah, I mean, it is a common mistake maybe for the for the uh, the young person to uh, to go out the night before a big event. Yeah. And like party a little bit too much. Uh huh. Because you you've got that uh, you got the nerves the jitters <laughs> yes, UFC that's jitters right. are there and, uh, and and you know you got nothing to do that night before you hit the town maybe you have a couple two three four five too many soda pops yeah maybe you, you go out to the fighter hotel hoping to to, to spot some celebs <laughs> get them to sign your affliction tea you know you end up throwing back one too many and then you know you can't really bask in the the adrenaline glow of a UFC event because you just feel terrible. So your so number your number one tip, the first tip that comes to mind is don't be hungover. Yeah, and I'm probably gonna gonna violate that. Okay. Numerous times. What's tip number two? Um get there early. Okay. All right. Don't be you know, I this one I, I steal from uh uh Marlo Stanfield, but uh get there early. You uh-huh. know, don't right. be, don't be one of those a holes you know, don't be part of the problem. Like when everybody's watching the prelims and they're like, man, who are these people who paid for these tickets? And they're not here. And they're not, you know, you want to see all the fights. You don't know the best fight of the night could be the very first one. Uh, so get there. Yeah. See, my tip, he probably could have used this even earlier. But my tip, which I think we've talked about before on the podcast, well, is when you go to see a live MMA show, especially the UFC, especially a show that's going to be in a cage, one of the things that will really affect your live uh, experience is where you sit in the arena. Like right. if if you just get the nosebleed seats, you're probably going to end up watching the whole event on TV anyway on the big screen. Yeah. And you shit, you could have done that from your house. Uh, and, and if I I've found also sitting on the floor is not always the best because the cage is a little weird. That you know you don't realize it when you watch it on on TV, but there's a fat camera guy standing yeah. on every single cage post with and, a camera. Yeah, and an eight-sided cage has a lot of cage posts. Yeah, there's a lot of blind spots there. So the best place, I think, to sit is like if you can get a good seat in the lower bowl. Uh, yeah, halfway up the lower halfway bowl. Halfway up the lower bowl, kind of in the middle of the cage, the 50-yard line, I yeah. guess you'd say, of the cage. That's the honey hole. Is It's a... <laughs> Yes, that's that's a good place to spot. And I guess my other tip would be like it kind of depends on what kind of fan you are and what kind of fan you want to be. If you are a guy who wants to go out and meet all the fighters and get your picture taken with them and like get autographs and whatever, you can still 100% totally do that at a live UFC event yeah. because you know all the fighters are obviously going to be there. They're, the guys in their training camps are going to be there. They're corner men and the UFC or, or UFC fighters they like this shit almost as much as you do. Like, keep in mind that this is, like, the one weekend in these guys' lives that they're actually famous. Yeah, that's the thing, is that they're not, like, even though they're pro athletes and everything, they're not famous famous the way, like, a dude who plays for the Lakers is, where he can go anywhere. They're not just They're famous famous. at MMA events. Yes. Uh, They can go to the mall on Wednesday in their hometown, and no one's going to know who they are. Yeah. So, So, yeah, you can do that. And also, you know, if you do want to kind of try and rub elbows uh, with the fighters. It's worth finding out where the fighter hotel is. Uh, you can go there, you know, the night before the the event is typically where you see a lot of the corner men and agents and media people, if you give a shit about them, uh, sitting around the hotel bar, throwing back some, some right. cold ones. Uh, and then after the fight, too, because the USC will often just give them a ride back to the fighter hotel. And some of them, especially in a town like Winnipeg, where it's not Vegas, where they all have a bunch of after parties and stuff like that that, that they're going to be at, they'll probably end up just back at the hotel bar drinking. Um, so that could be fun. And that kind of 
being on the ground and having that behind the scenes access, you and if you're interested in it, you'll probably get to see some pretty weird shit. Yeah, yeah. If you hang around long enough, you will. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last question this week comes to us from Corey Wichard, who writes, Since 2010, many of the UFC's former marquee fighters have retired, though some of them either no longer worked for the UFC at the time of their retirement or were no longer relevant, parenthetically, Dan Severn, Frank Shamrock, Mark Coleman, and a few guys retired while still competing in the UFC, Randy Couture, Matt Hughes, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz. Dana White recently suggested that BJ Penn and Rich Franklin may be retiring soon. With the slew of recent retirements among high-profile MMA veterans such as Forrest Griffin, Matt Serra, and to a lesser extent Stefan Bonner, the UFC roster is fast approaching the point where, may, where very few of the fighters that I followed when I began watching MMA are still competing. Dan Henderson, Vitor Belfort, and Frank... I feel like we've named the whole roster yeah, here. Yeah. Uh, Dan Henderson, Vitor Belfort, and Frank Mir have resorted to TRT. Vanderlei Silva and the Nogueira brothers are still hanging around. We're still going, huh? Josh Barnett has made his way oh, back into the UFC. Josh Thompson, Mark Hunt, and Robbie Lawler have all made kind of bizarre career resurgences. How long before all of the 1990s and early 2000 fighters, the guys who carried the torch for the UFC before it hit mainstream success, have retired or completely faded out of relevance? Does their departure represent a new era in the UFC's career trajectory, or is it simply a matter of athletes aging out of the sport? And the last question, does that make you feel sad? Wow. Okay. Well, I wasn't expecting that turn there at the end. Uh, I have to admit... I don't know exactly what we mean by a new era in the UFC's career tra trajectory. Does that just mean that like the UFC is going to have to find new stars? I guess so. And, you know, I think it's to the UFC's credit or to Dana White's credit more specifically uh, that he's a little more vocal and proactive about which guys he wants to see retire. I know some fans don't like that, and I'm sure I can understand how some of the fighters, you know, they might not like to hear their name brought up in that context, especially – because Dana White will sometimes just do it like after uh, after a post fight press conference when he's talking with the media, the guy hasn't even fought in months. Like he talks about BJ Penn. Like I think BJ Penn re should retire, and you can understand how if you're BJ Penn sitting at home, you'd be like, "Hey, what the hell, man? Yeah, no. <laughs> just hang <laughs> out." Do you. Uh, but you know that to me, uh, having watched recently rewatched that thirty for thirty on Muhammad Ali and uh, Larry Holmes. You see Muhammad Ali, where he clearly should not be fighting anymore, but he has so many people around him who realize that there's money to be made. Uh, if they, you know, and so they tell him, "Hey, you can still do it." And I think it's good that the UFC has somebody doing the opposite. I mean, like, look, you don't need this anymore. You should probably walk away. There's nothing left here for you to do. Uh, that's good. I mean, that means that we'll probably see at least slightly less brain damage. I'm all for that. Yeah, and I, I remember, like, I feel like I already went through this once before when dudes like Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell started to sort of fade out of the uh, of the scene. I know that was hard on you. Where initially I was like, oh, man, what's the UFC going to do? Like, these are their biggest draws yeah. and they're all retiring. Like, and suddenly you're looking in the bathroom mirror going, when did I get so fucking old? <laughs> and, but then they, they, got a, they got a new wave of guys like George St. Pierre and, and John Jones now and, and guys like that who are, who are their new draws. So I guess to answer the last question, does it make you sad? No, not really, because to me, it's it's like almost sort of uh, an exciting time to see like who are the new stars going to be and who's going to step up and carry the mantle for the UFC in terms of who their marquee draws are going to be. And it also doesn't make me sad just because the sport is still so young that I feel like we are still witnessing this really, really steep period of evolution in the sport right. where 
when you talk about guys like Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture, who were the the class of the light heavyweight division just a few years ago, now those dudes would get absolutely dusted by the guys who are at the top of the the, the food chain now, like John Jones. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's really more exciting than anything else. I want to see the next wave of guys and who the who the new young guys are and and uh, what skills they're able to bring to the table because I think we're still in this point where we're just now getting to the to the level where guys who've been training in MMA their entire lives are becoming professionals and i think over the next like five ten years you're going to see the sport change even more rapidly and in ways that right now we probably can't even fathom yeah and i think that that it happens pretty quickly and you never know it's like for a while if you're a dude with a, a good double leg and a one two uh you can get by on that and then suddenly you can't suddenly you have to have more uh, and the the growth is is really speeding up lately. I mean, if anything, it makes me what makes me sad is not seeing the guys get old and retire. It's seeing the guys get old and not retire. Right. That's what really bums me out. Good point. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, concern you'd like to air to the podcast, you know how to get in touch with us. You can go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that'll get you in touch with us as for right now we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one original main event of UFC 161 was going to pit Henan Barrow, the monster. Henan Barrow is a monster. Against Eddie Wineland for the interim bantamweight championship, but then the monster hurt his foot. And so Rashad Evans versus Dan Anderson became the new featured fight. Is it not a hoof if it's a monster? Well, I think it depends on what kind of monster. I, okay. I, not all monsters have hooves, right? Yeah, I'd say the, the majority. The Ness monster probably doesn't even have feet, for all we know. Yeah, that's a good point about the Loch Ness monster that you just raised right now. And what about Bigfoot? Bigfoot wouldn't have hooves. He would have big furry paws. Bigfoot's not a monster. Whoa, that's wait, offensive. what? That's offensive. He's just a cryptid? Is that where are we going with this? I mean, he's he's just a, just a, another mammal trying to get by, man. I feel like that's unnecessary. So wait a second. Are you trying to Don't say... Don't get... Okay, UFC 161. <laughs> okay. Long... I'm, I want to return eventually to your point about <laughs> mammals and monsters, though, because I feel like you're on shaky ground there. Long story short, uh, this card has been plagued by about a half a dozen injuries, the latest of which uh, just happened this past week when uh, Little Nog, Antonio Rogerio Nogira, or as I like to call him to avoid confusion... Roger Nog uh, <laughs> uh, w- was injured and withdrew. what do you call the other one? Roddy Nog, Antonio Rod- Rodrigo. Well, I'm so glad that you have avoided confusion with that. We're going to talk about Roddy uh, later in the show. Yeah, probably round three. Okay. Uh, so, well, as we sit here and record this now, it, it appears that Chael Sonnen might step step in to fight uh, Mauricio Shogun Hua. Hua. Uh, and my question to you, Ben, is uh, Sonnen versus Hua, that seems like a better fight anyway, right? It does. It actually kind of does. Maybe it's just that uh, I don't care for Brazilian on Brazilian violence. I feel like we should we should avoid that unless we absolutely have to. Uh, I also feel, though, like it felt like maybe this was enough, like this was Calgary all over again, where the, the Winnipeggers. The Winnipegans, as I like to call them. I don't know. Um, Go Blue Bombers, by the way. I I went over it with some people on Twitter earlier, and I I still don't remember what it's called. I think Winnipeggers. Uh, 
it felt like they were kind of getting screwed the same way the Calgarians did. Cal- Calgarians? Calgarians. Well, that sounds like some Star Trek shit. Uh, but I don't know, something about, you know, Chael Sonnen still brings a lot of, uh, a lot of excitement as I believe, uh, one of the uh, WWE personalities said sure. about the Ultimate Warrior. Jim Ross. Jim Ross was, said of the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> brings a lot of excitement before the bell. Prior to the bell. Prior to right. the bell. Chael Sonnen does the same thing. Brings a lot of excitement prior to the bell. I feel like having Chael Sonnen, Shogun Hua on, on that card, that gives it a at least kind of a, a, a psychological boost for me. It feels a little bit bigger that way uh, rather than just, you know, something about Shogun Hua and Little Nog. Maybe it was Little Nog coming off that kind of lackluster fight with Rashad Evans. It's hard to really get too pumped up for the for the guy's next outing. Um but you know if you know Chael Sonnen's on the card, you know, and again this is still we're in the if territory at this point. Uh I know now that we're re- talking about it on the CME, I'm sure that dooms it to not happening. Yes, no, probably uh, right now while we're recording this pause ta- podcast, Christoph Shasinski is stepping yeah, in to Daniel fight. Cormier is cutting weight like mm-hmm. as we speak or something. Uh yeah, but I feel like you inject that on there, you know, he, you know, you're bringing a new kind of excitement. It's a little bit something fresh added to the fight card. Yeah, and uh, I'm still over here suffering a little bit from the TRT fatigue. And obviously, Sonnen is a guy who who's been on the TRT, remains on it as far as we know. If he throws uh, a spinning heel kick, yeah. it's over. Forget <laughs> it. Also, also Dan Henderson. Uh, but we just we can't sit here and have that be the only thing we ever talk about. No, week in and week out. I mean, we could. We actually literally could no, do yeah, that. No, yeah, we could, but we, we but to. we don't want to. No. Um. So let, let's just throw that out there. I don't want to get. A ton of emails from people being like, I can't believe you guys did a whole round about Chael Sonnen and Dan Henderson and never talked about how they're cheaters. Like, you should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> Just send us. That is how you guys sound, by the way. Send us emails about how we should be ashamed of ourselves about other topics this week. Um, so for Sonnen, I mean, we rip on the guy all the time, but, but if he does step in here and he is booked against, against Shogun, do we have to say nice things about him now? Because it seems like kind of a, a, a cool move, an okay move for him on this part to step in and, and really improve this UFC 161 for the Winnipeggers. Winnipeggians. Well, that's never been the, the knock on Chael Sonnen. Like all the things you can say about him. One thing you can never say about him is that he wasn't willing to step up and fight. In a way, you can even argue that he's too willing to step up and fight. I mean, I've heard other guys, other fighters make that argument. I think uh, Leota Machida, uh, and granted, we were talking through an interpreter, so something could have got lost, but he was trying to make the point like, hey, uh, I actually take this really super seriously. Uh, so, no, I would not step up and, and fight on like 10 days notice because I feel like I owe the fans a little something better than that for their money. Uh, rather than just seeing some guy who figured he was in good enough shape. Uh, but, you know, I feel like maybe Chael Sonnen is just one of those guys where he's always training constantly so that he, he doesn't have to get in shape. He's pretty constantly much... Constantly training like a madman, never injured. Ragdogging, ragdolling ragdolling fools, fools in the gym. In the gym. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, you know, that's part of it. Uh, also, though, I think Chael Sonnen has to know that part of his value to the UFC is that when they get in a tight spot... You know, you can call up Uncle Chael and he might, he might step up, say some crazy stuff and at least give you a little bit of help. I mean, that's not going to work forever. You're going to reach a, a dead end there eventually. It's already worked for a crazy amount of yeah, time for way him. longer than you thought it would. And so maybe he's doing it here and, and 
I don't know. I feel like it works though. It does work, and 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 it's also a good spot for Chael Sonnen. If he doesn't indeed get booked in this fight, it's certainly a more competitive fight than we were thinking that he was going to get. You know, with with the the seeming uh, move toward booking a fight between him and Vanderlei Silva, which I thought was just going to be sad, uh, because I think we could all agree that Chael Sonnen would probably just whip Vanderlei Silva's ass at this stage in the game. Uh, it's a it's a it's a a little it's sort of a high profile fight. It's a more competitive fight, but at the same time, I feel like it's still a very winnable fight for Chael Sonnen. He could go out there, take Shogun Hua down uh, for three rounds, and and grind out a victory on him. You know, and during his UFC career, uh, Shogun has never been a guy where uh, in the third round you're like, well, all right, here he goes. He's going to turn it on now. Right. I think <laughs> when he fought Dan Henderson, you were, you, you came along and, and said, I think you said this about Shogun that like nobody gets more really obviously tired than he yeah, is. Like he just doesn't even try to hide it. He's high up on the Coleman index as far as looking tired, but you know, he's, is still one of those guys where he can look tired and still be dangerous. Uh, I, I mean, one of the bad parts about this matchup for Shel Sonnen is that, uh, the best way for him to win would be to turn it into a pretty boring fight. But then Sonnen has that ability, a lot like Randy Couture, to have fights that are, I guess, I mean, if somebody else did it, you would say they were boring. But when he does it, it doesn't seem like it. Maybe because of everything that people bring in uh, or all the perceptions they have of him coming into those fights. Uh, but like Randy Couture did some of that stuff where, you know, his fight like Brandon Vera and stuff like that, or even his fight... Uh, to some extent with Gabriel Gonzaga. If a lot of other fighters did that, you'd be like, oh, God, this guy is so boring to watch. Uh, but Chael Sonnen is another one of those guys who gets away with that just because he's Chael Sonnen. Uh, and, well, he's never been a guy that we were like, oh, man, so exciting in the ring. You know, yeah. that's never been his, his shtick, his thing, especially in the last few years, is that he's going to act like such a crazy person in the months and sometimes years leading up to the fight that, that it's going to be interesting no matter what happens. Uh, the one time he did try to be really exciting, he ended up falling on his ass and, and, and with just a look of unbelievable terror on his face was, <laughs> was finished via TKO seconds later. But I feel like now, I mean, if that fight does, go ahead and you look at this card now it's it's one of those cards where like and you can kind of separate the ufc events into different categories where you've got some now where huge headliner and then you know we're just going to kind of fill out the rest of it as best we can without wasting anything and then you got ones like this where no one huge fight not one that you know no like big title fight or anything that jumps out at you or like a one matchup where you're like well this has to be the most awesome fight of the year uh but a lot of solid stuff yeah i feel like this card in some ways has been poorly maligned as being really terrible and well, that's what happens when guys keep getting pulled out of it you start to look at it and 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 you know you got just fights like shield versus woodley which i guess is still going to be on the prelims which if nothing else should be an in- interesting welterweight fight yeah but uh, it's the it's on the it's the last fight on the fx portion oh so, of the prelims, it's, so it's, it's the fx main event yeah it's the fx prelim main event and that's not a yeah. thing that exists uh, we're uh roland delorme and uh, edwin figueroa that's the facebook main event okay all right well i like when i guess mitch clark guys- and john McGuire would be the Facebook co-main event. <laughs> Man. I don't know where that leaves Eve Jureen and uh, so Dustin only, Page. So there's only like three fights on this card that aren't some kind of main event. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, you've got Roy Nelson versus Stipe Miosic. Heavyweight main event. Miosic. Miosic. Stipe. Stipe. Uh, yeah, I feel like that some people have, have been acted like they were totally underwhelmed by this card. And then when you actually look at it, it doesn't seem totally shitty to me it seems yeah and you got pat barry who's yeah. gonna show up and do something 
Yes. Either get knocked out or knock somebody out. Yeah. Maybe go out there and bust off a submission because you of his know. grappling tournament experience. I, I saw his grappling tournament experience. I think he better, you know, keep it on the feet. That's my advice. All right. Well, let's do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to uh, round number two. Ben, what is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me? for this week? Well, Chad, as I'm sure you're aware, the poet Philip Baroni was in action this weekend. I am sadly aware. At uh, 1FC. Didn't go, didn't go great. No, did Could have gone better for the poet. Uh, he got beat up a little bit by that, that uh, Suzuki motherfucker, as he put it, before the fight. But really the, the bad news, um, I mean, he seemed like he was getting beat up anyway, but uh, broke his leg, kind of, and messed up his ankle. You can see the gif of it uh jiff the gif is Man, out there we settled this last week on the internets after we had the 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 episode just hey i don't just because i'm supposed to be one over just because the guy who created it says it's pronounced one way yes no you are nope no so you're just going to be willfully wrong yeah that's what i'm going to do god damn it <laughs> but uh even after this horrific looking injury and loss uh phil baroni posted on uh the underground forum. It ain't over till it's over. I still got one wheel left on this bitch, motherfuckers. Well, and I'm going to skate right. on one fucking foot if I have to. Never say die. And then in all caps, Lionheart signed NYBA Phil B. Um, okay. My, are you fucking kidding me this week? It's kind of a sad, like I'm not angry. I'm not like it's starting incredulous. to seem a cold hearted, but I'm just saying. You're fucking kidding me. I mean, I understand why a fighter would have that mentality even after the way things have gone Phil Brony lately, but come on, man. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Ben, my are you fucking kidding me this week goes out to the retired UFC light heavyweight champion and current UFC vice president of something. Vice president of foreign affairs. Who, who Secretary of Commerce. <laughs> I don't know. Chuck Liddell. Retired UFC. I can't remember what he's... Business development? Champion, Chuck, yes. The, the vice president of Acquisiciones, uh, Chuck Liddell. He recently told O Globo's Gustavo Noblat... Nailed it. Uh, yes, I feel confident you. you absolutely nailed that. <laughs> that he, in his prime, would have beaten Anderson Silva. Now, I don't... You know, in, in Liddell's defense, he was only answering a question here, and he, he actually tried to say it kind of respectfully. Was he drunk? Uh, unknown. It wasn't, I wasn't present. Okay. Uh, and I guess I'm not even saying that he, he wouldn't beat Silva, but I'm I mean, saying that. Come on. I'm yeah, saying that no, right he, now. He would he, not beat Silva. He wouldn't. Uh, but to me, it just anytime a retired dude engages in this sort of like, hypothetical mm -hmm. uh, speculation. It's uh, like when pro wrestlers talk about exactly, how they totally would have done exactly MMA. That's exactly what it reminded me of. There's no way to come out of it looking good. Just like whenever anyone asks a professional wrestler about mixed martial arts and they always say, oh man, if that was around 25 years ago when I was getting in the business, I probably would have been a, mm -hmm. an MMA fighter instead of a WWE champion. And, and when they say that or when Chuck Liddell says this, the immediate response is, yeah, sure you would have man of course you would have right mm -hmm. um so i think it's an unfair question and i think it's a, a bad response so this week i just gotta say come on are you fucking kidding me we're gonna ask and answer that question fucking kidding me well that's gonna do it for round number one we will be right back with round number two 
Chad, I know you'd like to, but you just can't keep Misha Tate down. What are you talking about? Yeah, I know. I know. You you don't want to see her and Brian Caraway happy. You want to split them apart. You can't handle their love, the power of their love, the 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 power couple that is Misha Way or Caratate, if you prefer Caratate, which I think sounds like some kind of uh vitamin supplement that nobody gets enough of. Now wait, where did Caratate come from? Because we should give credit to whoever the originator is because we were on board with Misha Way yeah. before. Misha Way was mine and I felt pretty confident that's on pretty that solid. one. pretty solid. Yeah, and then somebody on Twitter, I can't remember who, uh, threw out Caratate and that's that's pretty good too. That is a good one. Um, but, you know, they just can't stay out of the news, these two. First, Brian Caraway with his many ups and downs after Pat Healy's uh, positive marijuana test. And then... Kat Zingano gets hurt, gets pulled out of her, you know, dream coaching gig on the Ultimate Fighter opposite Ronda Rousey, and we throw Misha Tate in there. They're going to do it again, brother. That's right. Well, let's talk about this part before we even get into any of that, is that we got, and I feel like I saw on the internet, kind of a startling number of, of references to the fact that this was obviously some kind of conspiracy, right? The, like the people came out of the woodwork to be like, oh, there's no way Kat Zingano really got injured. Like the UFC wanted Misha Tate in there. So they, they gave Kat Zingano a bunch of money and put stuck Misha Tate in there on the ultimate fighter. Uh, to which I guess we just say, are you fucking kidding yeah, me? Yeah. And then like we that didn't, on. that did not happen. Yeah. Like that's, I'm on board with, with some of your conspiracies, but that one is just dumb. Like that didn't yeah. happen. The UFC didn't want Misha Tate on the ultimate fighter so badly that they faked a picture of Kat Zingano coming out of surgery, which I believe she posted to her Twitter, yes. uh, uh, in order to set up this rivalry between Tate and, and Rousey, which I'm sure will push the needle on ultimate fighter season 18 ratings. Absolutely zero. You know what though? This makes me more pissed off at the ultimate fighter and not necessarily at the ultimate fighter itself, but at the things that it makes the UFC do in order to, meet the needs of having a reality show that just runs pretty much constantly. Uh, I mean, for one thing, 18 it, times, it often will take a champion out of the rotation for a long time. And then there's always a chance that something weird is going to happen with the coaches by the end of it. And you won't get the fight anyway. Um, but this is one of those where, Hey, Kat Zingano gets hurt in training for the, the title shot that she earned. Uh, I feel like that should be a situation where, especially if, you know, she doesn't get hurt. Like, you know, two weeks before the bout or anything, that should be a situation where we can wait for her, where we can wait a little while for her to have surgery and rehab and come back, um, to just take it away from her and give it to the person she beat, uh, and especially using the weak justification, and this is the part that pisses me off, when uh, Dana White and Misha Tate both went out there and used this and said, well, hey, she was winning that fight against Kat Zingano right until she got beat up. Like, she was winning it until she lost it, which doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter if you won the first two rounds on the scorecards, if you then got TKO'd in the third round. Nobody cares about that. But suddenly that's justification enough when really you know that the reason they chose Misha Tate and not Sarah McMahon or somebody else uh, is because Misha Tate-Ronda Rousey is an existing rivalry and, and reality TV loves a rivalry. 
Right. So yeah, it, it does sort of reinforce the the constraints of this schedule that the UFC has set up for itself. Uh, and 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 I think it's kind of disappointing because I was on board with Kat Zingano. I thought that she had a really really good opportunity to be far and away the most likable person on this season of <laughs> the Ultimate Fighter season eighteen. And now we sort of have this potential for the Ronda Rousey uh, Misha Tate slash Brian Car I guess Caritate rivalry to uh verge into Quentin Jackson, Rashad Evans territory where you just ruin an entire season of reality television which feels already unnecessary. Yeah. Even we, when it's great. Even if it was the best season of the Ultimate Fighter ever, it would still be the eighteenth one. It would still feel <laughs> not like not counting the Brazilian ones. It didn't it didn't it still would feel like you didn't need to do it. So yeah. Kind Wait, for of the purposes of your Rashad Evans uh Rampage Jackson analogy, uh does that make Brian Caraway Tiki Goshen? Yes. He's wow. gonna be masterminding hilarious pranks the whole time they're in the house. It does seem like um based already, like you know, Ronda Rousey has come out and blasted Caraway. Of course she did. Uh, of course. It does she seem did. like one way or another, Brian Caraway is somehow gonna come out looking even worse. Uh, like in his public image with fans than he already did. And he's not even really technically on the show. Right. And we talked you, you alluded to that at the beginning of this round, uh, that, you know, people love to hate Caritate. Whoa, dude, t-shirt. <laughs> uh, I got to run to the mall right now. And, uh, you know, but really you alluded to the fact at the beginning of the round that like, they that can't you want to help. destroy their love? They, yes, that I want to destroy their love, and they can't help but make headlines. But the truth is, they love to make these headlines, right? And the fact that they are in this relationship keeps them far more in the public eye than they would ever be, regardless. I mean, if they weren't in the relationship, especially for Brian Caraway, who has yet to really make any sort of impact at all in the UFC. So for him to be involved in this situation, yes, it makes everyone hate him, but I wonder if it's not a, any publicity is good publicity type situation for a guy of that stature. Yeah. I mean, in the company, You're I wrong. don't mean that You're physical right. stature. Wow. It's taking shots at the guy. That's not what I meant. <laughs> you know, but it, it seems like that perception though, uh, is taking hold and it's not, it, that's going to be tough to change. I mean, who knows? Maybe the reality show will prove that Tate and Caraway are awesome coaches and strategists and people, uh, and everybody will turn around on them. It seems like fans are not inclined to go that way at this point. I even talked to a female fighter, uh, who shall remain nameless, uh, who recently made the quip that, well, you know, on tough, those people get the best of everything and, uh, they'll get great coaching. Dot, 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 unless they're on Misha's team. Whoa. Yeah. Ouch. And I mean, that gets, that perception is out there, even among the other, other female fighters and other fighters in general. And it gets to a point where it doesn't even matter if it's accurate anymore. Everybody just jumps on that bandwagon. They, they'd love to hate Karatate, uh, get carried away bashing Misha way. <laughs> I don't the know. The other one just got a better yeah, Well, that one could be on the back of the shirt. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to spring for two-sided printing on these shirts. God, we better sell a lot of these. <laughs> Nothing but the best for CME listeners. Cotton is not cheap these days. <laughs> uh, well, and I guess maybe if you wanted to find a silver lining for Kat Zingano, maybe it's that there's still so few female fighters in the UFC that once she heals up, she will probably get to fight the winner of this fight. Uh, according because- to her manager, uh, who I exchanged some texts with, uh, went to debunk one of the 
the kind of conspiracy theory stuff about the timing of it. Uh, he said that, that she has been promised uh, a title shot when she's healthy. Uh, those always work out. Yeah. Like the best, if you get promised a title shot in the UFC, that, that might as well be etched into a solid gold brick <laughs> because you can take that straight to the bank. Yeah. Well, and, but this season of the ultimate fighter largely obviously is being set up as a, as a vehicle for Ronda Rousey to, uh, become an even bigger sensation that she is in the UFC. I just, I hope and wonder that is this like matchup with Misha Tate, not going to be as effective in doing that as the people who produce the ultimate fighter think it's going to be because is it just going to turn out to be super annoying and is it going to make us dislike both individuals in the situation? Can you remember a single season of the ultimate fighter where a big rivalry between the coaches was part of the selling point where by the end of it, it didn't get super annoying. No, that's a good point. And they all get there eventually. But they, I mean, some, some of them start there and some of them travel there, but that's how they all end up. Like by the end of it, you're just like, please just fight and then shut up about it. <laughs> so we never have to hear about it again. Ah, uh, well, that's a good note. I think to move on, uh, let's do, uh, tips for a well-rounded fight fan. We had an audible. You called an audible in between the first round and the introduction portion of the podcast where we you, haven't done one in a while. you asked me if I wanted to do one and I said, sure, let's do it. Let's do a tips for the well-rounded fight fan as a surprise. Ben, what's your tip? My tip for the well-rounded fight fan is, uh, I'm sure CME listeners already know how much I love the ESPN 30 for 30 series. We all do. We uh, all love it. And I recently watched one uh, called Renee about uh, transgender tennis player uh, Renee Richards, uh, who was a man, uh, transitioned to become a woman, and then played professional women's tennis. Uh, and especially interesting in light of the... Uh, Fallon Fox controversy in MMA where we're trying to figure out, uh, does she have an advantage? Does she not? And then you watch this and you're like, Oh, other sports already had that argument and came to a conclusion years and years ago. Um, uh, but it's a fascinating documentary, not just for that issue, but also just for the people involved. Uh, and, uh, really well done. I highly recommend it. If you have the Netflix streaming, you can just jump right on there and watch it. Renee 30 for 30. Are you saying maybe that we could all learn something? Are we all going to learn an important lesson? I wouldn't from, go that far. From Renee? No? No. Okay. Uh, well, I learned my, nothing. My tips for the well, tip for the well-rounded fight fan this week is the, is the novel Ghost Man by Roger Hobbs. Uh, it's a crime novel. I just finished reading it myself. And I have to say that it's pretty remarkable from the, from the standpoint that it is far and away the most detailed book that I've ever read about how to do crime. Like you get the impression from reading it that Roger Hobbs, who's one of these like young phenom authors who is from Portland and this is his first novel, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think he wrote it between his junior and senior year at Reed or some oh, ridiculous bullshit like that. But like you get the impression that either, either Roger, Roger Hobbs is a criminal, uh, or he did a shitload of research about actual high level heisters. Or he created this fictional world that feels very, very realistic and believable in all of the details he puts in there about the various ways that, that people rob banks and commit high-level heists. After reading it, do you feel like you and I have a better chance of pulling off a heist now that we have this information? I didn't tell you this yet, but as soon as we're done here, we're actually pulling one. We're oh. pulling a heist. Well, fortunately, I always, I never go anywhere without my Ronald Reagan mask. Right. So I'm, I'm ready. And your bug out bag. Yeah. We both got our bug out bags ready to go, right? Yeah. In case and we got to disappear. $10,000 in cash stashed in my, my freezer. 
So Ben's tip for the well-rounded fight fan this week is the documentary Renee, available on Netflix uh, streaming. And my tip for the well-rounded fight fan is the book Ghost Man by Roger Hobbs. I suppose now that we have the new website, we'll start a post where we catalog all of our tips for the well-rounded fight fan. Sure we will. Or we'll say that we're doing that and then won't do it. One of the two things will definitely happen. Interesting point. Interesting point. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, you talked about this a little bit in round number two while we were discussing the tough 18 Misha Tate-Ronda uh, Rousey matchup. Caritate. Caritate, yes. Uh, it, it does feel at times with these seasons of The Ultimate Fighter like they the UFC unduly takes people out of the rotation of, of, of making regular appearances inside the octagon, or as I like to call it, doing their job. Uh, <laughs> it's even more true, I think, at least for us, Americans, uh, when it comes to these seasons of the Brazilian Ultimate Fighter, because now you've got Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira, or as I like to call him to avoid confusion, Roddy Nog. Confusion avoided. Squaring off with uh, Fabricio Verdum. They were the coaches on this season. And it just feels like for two guys who, until they begun this process, had worked their way back into sort of surprising relevancy in the UFC heavyweight division. Now I feel like we haven't heard from them in like five years. Yeah. Why they do that? Well, you know, I talked to Fabricio Verdum about this a little bit. I'm not, I'm sure that it's great for the Brazilian fans. I'm sure that the, his Brazilian fans really love it, but it does feel to all the non-Brazilian fans. I think like he just disappeared. Like he was whisked away to a deserted Island somewhere. Uh, and we we all kind of forgot about him a little bit. Every once in a while, we'd start talking about top heavyweights and who could be in the future plans for title shots, and you'd go, "Oh yeah, what about Fabricio Verdum? Anybody here from Fabricio lately? Anybody anybody get a, a note in a bottle or anything washing up?" Uh, and I don't know about you, man, but I don't even want to watch regular Ultimate Fighter anymore. There's no way I'm watching Brazilian Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, no, not on my me? radar at all. Not on my radar. I mean, I assume I, I could probably guess more or less what happened from the coach's standpoint uh, on a show like that. But I don't know. It, it does feel like they're just going to kind of show up out of nowhere uh, in this fight and then, you know, get tossed back into the rotation. I can tell you one thing that happened that I learned from Wikipedia today uh, is that some guy's shoes got filled with shaving cream. <laughs> delightful <laughs> and so in the case of verdum who is still you know in the top five i would say probably of most people's heavyweight rankings uh he hasn't fought in almost a damn year the last time he fought was ufc 147 when he tko'd mike russo and that was june 23rd 2012 and that was one of those fights where they give him where he can't do a whole lot to really up his stock anyway. Like everybody expects him to, to run through Mike. I mean, he looked awesome just immediately beating the shit out of Mike Russo and stopping a guy who'd previously been pretty tough to stop. So you got to give him points for that. Uh, but it felt like he wasn't really getting, and, and even this one, I feel like at this point in his career, big nog, Roddy nog to some, uh, he's the kind of guy who you got to beat if you want to stay a top heavyweight. 
Um, but he could still totally beat you, but it's not seen as like acceptable to, to lose to him right now because it seems everybody regards him as old and kind of on, at the end of his run. Except in Brazil where he shows up yeah. being a much younger and more dangerous version of himself. That's what I'm trying to say is that he is a more dangerous guy than he is like a guy who will add credit to your resume if you beat him right now. I mean, of course, yeah, he's still uh, – you know, he still has that that history. Everybody still knows. I mean, everybody know Roddy Nog. You know, <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah. So, is what we've been talking about? Does what we've been talking about represent a significant flaw in the way the UFC is trying to book its shows now? Because to me, it seems like a lot of these shows, these overseas shows, which are becoming more and more plentiful are really, really localized. Yeah. Like you look at the card of this this UFC on Fuel TV uh, 10 show, and there's just tons and tons of Brazilian guys on here, most of whom most people haven't heard of. And we just did this like a few weeks ago, didn't we? Right. So I'm wondering, like, d- is this a problem? The UFC wants to do all these shows. They want to do all of these international ex- – they, they want to do all this international expansion. Yet at the same time, I feel like there's still this assumption and expectation that UFC fans all over the world are supposed to care about this card. And yet when you look at it, it looks to me like there's one fight at the top, which is a worthwhile affair. And there's a couple other interesting ones like Tiago Silva against Fei Zhao. But really, why is anyone who is not just jacked up about seeing Brazilians in the UFC and seeing a UFC fight card from Brazil, Brazil supposed to care about this? Yeah. I mean, it's basically asking you to tune in because the UFC is on and it's Saturday night. Right. That's, but, you know, here's what I think is happening. I think it's a combination of uh, the UFC going a little Brazil crazy because of a Brazilian fans are just nuts. Uh, and it's a really passionate fan base similar to what they see in Canada, uh, or even in England. And, and so there's money to be made there. You can go there and you can fill the place to the rafters, uh, with prelim fights. Uh, and you know, I mean, there's, we've already started to feel at least a little bit on our end that the backlash from some of the Brazilian fans who are like, Hey, wait a minute. I know you think that uh, Ronnie Jason is going to just, you know, get Brazilian fans to shell out any number of dollars, uh, any number of reals uh, in order to get, get tickets, but we still want to see, uh, you know, Cain Velasquez and shit like that too. But I think also it's a combination of that, them going after that passionate fan base, and there being so many fighters from Brazil. So that's how we end up. Because like, it's like with Canada – yeah, the, the fans are super passionate, and there are a good number of fighters from Canada, but it doesn't just seem to be churning out pro MMA fighters the way Brazil does. Same thing in England. They just don't have quite as many, like, big name or, or you know, uh, just tons and tons of fighters coming out of that country. So it's a combination of those two things that the USC thinks, okay, well, we can just have, like, a limitless number of cards, basically, packed with Brazilians for Brazilian fans, and they'll go nuts for it. And meanwhile, everybody in the States is sitting around going, um, who's Godofredo Pepe again? I don't know, man. Uh, so, and some of this I think has to do with how the sport is covered by the largely U.S. based media. Are we or will we ever fast reach a time when MMA centric media outlets, like the one that you work for, for example, will have to make some tough choices about shows that they cover? Because, like I said earlier, there's this expectation i feel like that if you are a, like a real ufc fan or a hardcore ufc fan 
that you are going to care about this show, regardless of the fact that there's no one fighting on it that you've ever heard of before. Like, does, does the media at some point have to make a decision that, like, we're not going to treat all of these events as equals, that we are going to say, you know, okay, you put on a major pay-per-view, we'll staff it, we'll send somebody there, we'll do a million stories about it, both before and after it's over. But if you're going to do these shows in Brazil where, you know, it, there's no really famous people on it aside from in the main event, and it's going to be this really, like, localized marketing strategy – we're not sending somebody and we're not going to do a hundred previews and then, uh, you know, commentary and Ben folks ain't going to write a 5,000 word lifestyle piece on Sunday after it's over. There you go. I was worried you wouldn't sneak that in. Uh, you know, for starters, I think it's worth pointing out that that already happens to some extent. I mean, you're not just not going to see here. We are the week of this, this fight card, the, the fuel TV fight card. And you just don't see as many stories in the media and as much talk about this as you do about UFC 161 next week. So, I mean, we're already making value judgments about the cards. We still send somebody. Uh, we have John Morgan, poor John Morgan, the, the hardest working man in, in MMA media has to get on a plane and go back to Brazil. Just got back from Brazil. I hope he's listening to this right now. We're going to try to get this on the internet as fast as we can. Yeah. So John Morgan can pass at least one of the hours yeah. of his 38,000 hour trip to Brazil. Yeah. If you're hearing this, John right now, hopefully in an aisle seat, uh, somewhere over the darkened Amazon as you hurtle through the air in a metal tube, you know, I, I think it, we deserve a little bit of credit, MMA Junkie does, because we don't just you know pick and choose. as we, like We'll have somebody on the ground for this stuff, even though it's a pain in the ass to do uh, and it's expensive. You know, but again, we still, like for bigger fight cards, you know, UFC 161, we'll have two people. You know, UFC 162 will have at least two people on the ground. You know, we have a little bit more of an all-hands-on-deck strategy for the bigger fight cards. The Fuel TV ones, I mean, we still go and cover it because, hey, we cover the fucking sport. So, you know, a UFC event is still a UFC event. But I'm asking you if that attitude has to change or will change because I feel like it's going to have to change at some point because we're going to get to the point now where, where there's only going to be more shows. You know, if the UFC goes through with this plan that we heard about a few months ago to have weekly Wednesday fight cards or whatever on Fox Sports 2, like we can't cover that shit. Like we you can't cover that every week and act like it's an event, like it's a thing that everyone is supposed to care about. Depends like, where they do it. You know, if they do that stuff in Vegas, uh, you know, we've got John Morgan in Vegas. A lot of the, the big MMA outlets have somebody in Vegas, so that's a little easier on everybody. Um, but yeah, you can't be going to Brazil one, one well, Wednesday I mean, night. Even, even more than next. like, than like staffing and how we report on, on, on the, the events. I feel like there has to be a change in attitude. Like you can't expect UFC fans, even the most hardcore UFC fans to tune into every weekly Wednesday night fight and be like, you need to know every guy on the card. This is super relevant. If you don't know the dude who's fighting on the third prelim, you're a fucking noob and we're going to get in your <laughs> face about it. Like the, the, the way that we, that we deal with the sport now is necessarily going to have to change. At some you know, point. I'm already surprised that we're able to, keep dealing with the sport that way now and it makes me wonder if we underestimate the level of like fan interest at least from like there's that hardcore base of fans the one who are watching the facebook prelims and the fx prelims every single time the ones who are complaining about not getting fuel tv not only because they want to see the fights but because they actually want to watch those damn pre and post fight shows uh you know those people i think 
there's always going to be that that hardcore base that yeah those people are going to turn in tune in every Wednesday night they're never going to miss one uh, and then other people are going to you know be like hey is, is Anderson Silva fighting again yet oh he's not let me know when he is uh, I feel like that's fine there, there's going to be that kind of like stratification among the fan base uh, how that bleeds over into the media side of things I don't know man sometimes I go back and forth between what's worse having like just constant fights and stuff to write about you're wrapping up the last one and previewing the next one and talking to interviewing guys uh, all the time because there's just the schedule is nonstop. or then as soon as we go like a week or two without one you're sitting around going ah shit I wish there was something to write about you know, I, I don't know what's worse. Yeah, and, and to a certain extent, we've been, I guess, spoiled, although I don't think that's the right word, just by the, 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 the fact that there's been so many fights and so much to talk about and stuff like that. I just don't want to get to the point where I feel like we're writing about stuff because we got to write about something. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, don't want to have, you don't want this to get to a, a point where it feels like a job, is what you're saying. No, I don't want to get to the point where it's like, well, fuck, man. I work for an MMA website. I guess I got to write about MMA today, even if there's nothing to write about. Like, that, that, there's a legitimate point to be made that, like, you don't just make shit up to write about. You don't just, yeah. like, make a bigger deal out of stuff that shouldn't be a big deal. And, and, like, I feel like these UFC in Brazil cards where there's no one of really note fighting is, like, when the fucking Marlins play the Astros. You know, you're Ooh. probably not going to get highlights on SportsCenter of that. Ooh. Ooh. Chad Dennis is pulling no punches today. That's not that mean. It's still a major league game, right? We'll see. That's and the if point. If you don't know though. the number eight hitter from the Astros, you're a fucking baseball noob, and you get your shit out of my message <laughs> board. Get in your face about it. All right. Well, I feel like we've yelled enough. Let's uh, let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll wrap this up. Ben, what's your just saying stuff this week? Chad, I'm just saying. Tim Sylvia fought this weekend. Oh yeah, really? Tim Where'd Sylvia that happen? fought at One FC on the prelims, and he missed weight. And he lost. I'm just saying. Oh, wow. Tim Sylvia is still <laughs> okay. fighting. He's on the prelims at 1FC. And he missed weight. Mm-hmm. And he lost. And you're just I'm saying. I'm just saying. Who, who beat him? Do we know? Do we have a name on that? Tony or? Johnson. Oh, Tony Johnson. See, tough noob. I know who that is. Uh, I'm just saying this week, uh, Ben, that a story on MMA Junkie by John Morgan, just so we make sure that we get in. As many mentions of Mr. Morgan in as possible. Wake up, John Morgan. You're falling asleep (laughs) on the guy next to you. Uh, Detailed the, uh, I guess you'd say, negotiating strategy of Anderson Silva when signing, uh, recently signing a new 10-fight deal with the UFC, uh, in which he says he only asked for four fights. And here's what Anderson Silva has to say about uh, coming to terms on this 10-fight deal. Maybe there's a contradiction lost in translation, Silva said. I wanted to do four more fights, and they said eight. So I said, whatever, let's do eight, ten. Let's do however many fights you want. They got on that ride and offered me ten fights, and that's what I signed. Huh. And this week, I'm just saying, if Anderson Silva has ten more fights in the UFC, I will go on the UFC's website and buy a UFC hat and eat it. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Anyway, that's going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. We'll be back next week to, I guess, break down what happens at this card in Brazil. I guess. Seems like we. Just, I just tried to talk us out of doing that, but yeah. we're going to do and it anyway. We'll probably end up being forced to apologize to Godofredo Pepe for, for not giving him his due daps. As for right now, though, that's it for this week's show. We're done. We're through. We're out. So let me ask you this. Mammals can be monsters or not yes or no question i'm gonna say no 
Mammals cannot be monsters. Right. So uh, the abominable snowman, if it turned out to be a mammal, not a monster. Right. A curiosity, perhaps. <laughs> not a monster. And I don't know how we, we got to this point, but apparently hooves is one of the criteria for you. No, not necessarily a criteria. I'm gonna, but I'm going to say majority of monsters, especially non-aquatic 